Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for a chance to open your word together and think about you, be challenged by the example of Jesus, and to be encouraged that we can be all that you really want us to be, what you're expecting of us, what you've prepared for us. We can do and be those things with your help, through your power. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to concentrate on the passage that Doug just read from Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, if you read the beginning of the chapter, this is Jesus calling his followers to be apostles. And so the, the gist of this whole passage is that he's kind of giving them some direction and giving them some warnings about what they're going to encounter as he sends them out. And in a general sense, I think uh, in the end, a lot of this sort of filters down to Jesus says, focus on me and what I'm doing and what I will do and let everything else get a little fuzzy around you. You know how when you're looking through a camera lens and you decide to focus right in on Jeff's face, what happens to everything else in the picture? Everything else gets blurry, right? And so this is kind of what Jesus is calling his followers to do, is to focus on him. And the natural byproduct of that is going to be that the things on the periphery get a little fuzzy. And being a little fuzzy, hopefully they get a little less important to us. And so that's what he's saying. In verses 24 and 25, uh, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. And so the first thing he's saying is, listen, guys, I want you to know who you are. Because sometimes, you remember, there was a time when the disciples got together and they were arguing and they were trying to decide who was going to be seated in the best place in heaven. And uh, they were concerned about their place, their position, their power, their influence. And so Jesus makes it clear, look, a student is not above a teacher and a slave is not above a master. And so, know who you are. Know which one you are. This is, this is Jesus' really, really nice way of saying, certainly there's a God, and you're not it. Okay? He was a little more gentle with them. But we need to hear that from time to time, don't we? And we might think, oh, no, I never need to hear that because I'd never, you know, consider myself God. But are there moments, are there days, are there months and years that we take back control of the details of the days and the weeks and the months of our lives when we would say that God's in control of those things. And so this, again, Jesus' nice way of saying, there's a God, it's not you. Um, we are dependent. Just like, a, just like a student is dependent upon the teacher to provide guidance, just like a slave is dependent upon the master, we are dependents. If God, here's, a, here's an interesting thought, if God had to file a tax return, we would all be listed on his tax return as dependents. Because we don't get by without God. That's the nature of a dependent on a tax return, right? That kid that lives in your house and eats out of your refrigerator and sleeps under your roof and follows none of your rules, that's a dependent. That's a dependent. And most of the time, that's a fairly good description of us, too. 
We enjoy the shelter. We eat the food. We don't always follow the rules. But we belong to him. We're dependent upon him. That's who we are. And that's comes into a little bit of a, a conflict or a clash with our culture. Because American society, we celebrate independence, don't we? Not dependence. We celebrate dependence. And we're very interested in what our rights are and what we have coming to us. And if I work, what'll I get for it? We're interested in ladder climbing in terms of income, in terms of stature, in terms of status, in terms of position or authority or power. We're very interested in those things. We celebrate in America the self-made man or the self-made woman. That's not a dependent. That's someone who has wrested control of their circumstances in their life and they will do with it what they will do with it. Have you had moments like this in your life? I'm in charge. I got this. I had a whole big long stretch of time in my life when I said, I got this, God. That was only because the alcohol made me a lot smarter than I normally was. <laughs> but, um, but I've had whole stretches of time when, when I said, no, I got this. I got this. Or maybe God disappointed me. Maybe something didn't turn out the way I thought it would. And I said, you know what? Being your dependent isn't working for me anymore. I'm not happy with the results. So we think it's a ridiculous idea at first to think, oh, you know, we wouldn't say we're God. But Jesus is reminding his followers, remember who you are. You're learning from me. You're following me. It is enough, he says. It is enough to simply be like me, Jesus says. The only person who ever walked the face of the earth who could say that, Jesus says, look, if you're just like me, that's enough. That's good enough. So that's the first bit of advice, bit of encouragement that Jesus gives to the disciples. Um, remember your place, so to speak. And so I think down through time, Jesus says to us, remember who you are. And even if you live in a culture that celebrates being your own person and figuring things out for yourself and not wanting help, depend on me. It's enough if you just find a way to be like me. Then Jesus says in uh, verse 26, have no fear of them. Okay, and before, earlier in this chapter, he was talking about that persecution is inevitably going to come to the follower of Jesus. And the follower of Jesus, uh, whom he sends out to do the work of the gospel, is certainly going to meet resistance. There's going to be persecution involved. And so he says, don't be afraid of them. And he points out three different things that he doesn't want his disciples to be afraid of. Number one, basically about lies. He says, you know, everything that is, everything that now is done un undercover or in secret or whispered, it'll all come to light. And that means if somebody's telling lies about you, just keep being who you are. Keep following me. It'll all come to light in the end. If people have a problem with your theology, if they want to say that the truth that you're speaking is a lie, Keep speaking the truth, because in the end, it'll all come to light. And so he says that in this temporary world that we live in, all kinds of things may be said. He says, you know, if 
people are going to call me names, Jesus says, if they're going to call me uh, the devil or call me, in another translation I read, dunghead, um, then they're certainly going to do the same thing to you. Don't worry about it. The truth rises to the top. All it takes is time and eternity. And all these things will be made known. So he says, first of all, don't be afraid of the lies. Secondly, he says, don't be afraid of physical threats. Don't be afraid of people who can kill your body but can't touch your soul. And here now Jesus is beginning to talk a little bit about what we referred to earlier as focus. Our focus is easily sometimes on our lives, on our physical environment, on this world, on humanity. And yet there's a whole other wonderful dimension to us and a whole other wonderful dimension or dimensions, I don't know, to be enjoyed one day. And yet we focus on what is probably very, very small and very, very limited. And that's where our concern primarily lies. He says, don't be afraid of people who can hurt the body but can't touch the soul. So he says, um, yeah, there's going to be persecution. You know, Jeff might try to talk to somebody this week and they might punch him in the nose. All right. Hopefully they'll warn him so he can take his glasses off first. Because that just makes things worse. But, but all that anyone can do in this world is impact us in this world. Whether it's my physical health or whether someone's going to give me a beating or whether somebody's going to you know, slash my tires and let the air out of my, my tires or whether I stand to lose something in the physical realm, some possession, some luxury, some right, some privilege. None of that has to do with my spiritual life. None of that has to do with my soul, with my place in the kingdom. And so Jesus says, don't be afraid of people that tell lies or try to discredit you. Don't be afraid of people who can harm you physically but can't touch your soul. Fear the one, respect the one who is in control of both your body and your soul. And lastly, Jesus says, um, he begins to talk about the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Don't be afraid, Jesus is saying, that you've been abandoned or that you have no value in God's eyes. Sometimes life gets rough. Things don't go our way we feel like we're in the deep end of the pool. For me, being a horrible swimmer, the deep end of the pool is not as bad place to be. We feel like we're in over our head. And have we, have you before said, God, where are you? Or God, why? Or God, why me? <laughs> I've said all those things. I've said them pleading with God. I've said them weeping before God. I've said them out of anger to God. As if to say, I don't really matter. All that stuff you wrote about our relationship, 
I don't really matter, or you wouldn't leave me in this kind of place. You wouldn't, you wouldn't let me be found in this kind of state right now. But Jesus says, you are valuable. You are valuable. So don't be afraid that you've been abandoned because you might face persecution. Don't be afraid that you've been abandoned because someone may lie about you or lie to you or discredit you. Don't be afraid that you've been abandoned because someone might try to hurt you. Because you are of value to God. The same God who created everything we see and holds all of it in his hands. So he says, don't be afraid of these three things. People who lie, people who threaten you physically, and don't be afraid that you've been left alone and that you've been abandoned. Then lastly, in 34 through 39, verses 34 through 39, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Sometimes you don't have to set in-laws against one another. Sometimes that just happens. But Jesus said, you know, I'll do it if it needs to be done. So uh, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So Jesus makes three statements again in this last little paragraph when he says, expect that there's going to be conflict. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't come to institute the summer of love. I didn't come to make everything perfect on earth, everything peaceful. I came to make clear divisions between people. And so he says, I want you to beware of where some of those divisions come. First of all, he says, he says, if someone loves their father or their mother more than Jesus, they're unworthy of Jesus. And we think of our parents and our extended family as we look back on history's timeline. We think of that as our familial legacy, don't we? Our past. When, when my hair's wet and I comb it straight back sometimes, my hairline and the color of my hair looks exactly like my grandfather, Francis. I never, I never comb my hair back and I don't think of my grandfather. And I could tell you for an hour and a half some interesting things about my grandfather, who's a character. But we love our families. We love often where we've come from. We sometimes yes and sometimes no, love it when those little things creep up in our lives and we see them in us physically or behaviorally. But Jesus says, if you love your family tree, your family history more than you love me, you're unworthy of me. And then he continues to deal with family. He says, if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're unworthy of me. And so that legacy that we just referred to that goes into our past, our family tree, now Jesus says, well, what about the legacy that you hope to leave in your family, your offspring, those little ones 
that you want to train up and that you hope will be just like you, or maybe not, <laughs> or be able to do the things that you didn't get a chance to do. We have all kinds of love and goodwill and wonderful feelings wrapped up in our offspring. But he says, listen, if you love the future of your family tree more than you love me, if you love the future of your familial legacy more than you love me, then you're unworthy of me. So he's dealt with the past. He's dealt with the future. He says, don't love either one more than me or you're unworthy. What's he deal with finally? The present. The present being described as taking up your cross. If you don't take up your cross, then you're unworthy of me. Well, what is this business of taking up our cross? Most of us, when we hear this phrase, we see a visual of Jesus being forced to carry his own cross on the way to his crucifixion. And we think, first of all, we think, mm, I don't want to get in that situation. But then we say, well, they don't really crucify people anymore anyway, so that probably doesn't mean that. It probably means something else. And this is where we usually drop the conversation because sometimes we're content not to understand what Jesus is requiring of us because it sounds like it might be getting hard. But in this context, in Matthew chapter 10, in this context, while Jesus advises and warns his disciples as he sends them out with the gospel, I think that, that taking up your cross is these things that he said. It's all right there. Remember who you are. If you're concerned about realizing your potential, <laughs> realize your potential in Jesus. It's enough to be like him. Taking up your cross is refusing to be intimidated or to be afraid when people contradict you or accuse you or lie about you or threaten you or make you feel alone. Taking up your cross is realizing that everyone in your life that is important to you, all those people whom you love dearly, if you love them more than Jesus, you're unworthy. This is hard because <laughs> when you love someone, especially your spouse, you say, I love you more than anybody. I love you more than everything, anything. I love you to the moon and back. I love you more than there are stars in the sky. We say all kinds of things, don't we? So all that's great. All that love is great. But it means that my love for Jesus needs to be bigger than that. Bigger than that. Better than that. More profound and more satisfying than that. So in the moment Jesus confronts, in the moment, the past, the future, and now here, what you need to do here and now, fellas, he says, is take up your cross and resist the allure of the present. Does the present hold allure for us? Are there distractions and temptations in our present? Oh yeah, all the time, increasingly. The more technological our society gets, the more distracted we get. It's, it's impossible 
it's impossible to find someone without a cell phone now on their person. And usually, it's in front of their face. Okay? Um, we, we think that these communiques that we get on Facebook or on Twitter, or, well, some of those are from high-ranking officials, of course, so they should be important, but, um, but we think that these communiques that we're getting every 30 seconds are, are important. They're urgent. They require our attention. They require our energy. We live in a just disastrously distracted society. Jesus says, that stuff's not urgent. That is not urgent. Yeah, but I, I, I'm wondering who won Dancing with the Stars or who won The Voice or, or who won, I don't know, what's another show? Oh, America's Got Talent or Project Runway. Um, I'm, I'm wondering about this. I've got to rush home and check on it. Okay, there's a million things that distract us. A million things. But Jesus says, come on, guys, bring it home. Bring it on home now. Those things are not urgent. They are not urgent. Those are the things that are supposed to become fuzzier and fuzzier, less and less important, as you focus your lens on me, as you focus your lens on the example that I am setting for you, that I will set for you. As you live your life, satisfied, knowing it is enough if you're simply like me, Jesus says. So the allure of the present, the conflict there is all these distractions, all these allegiances. You know, the reference to family, sometimes people that we love can cause us, they can make us do things that we might not otherwise do, right? It's not their fault. I'd be the one that makes the decision. But there can be some pressure brought to bear. And we don't want to disappoint the people we love. We don't want the people that we love to be angry with us. But this is the very reason Jesus said, look out, look out for those relationships. Because I've got to be number one. In this, Jesus does not compromise. I have to be number one. Anything, anyone that you place before me you become unworthy. So, simply, Jesus is saying, focus on me. Focus on me. And be like me. It reminds me, I grew up in the church. I grew up singing hymns. And um, some of my favorite nights were Sunday nights when we would just sing hymns. No sermon. Woo! Uh, <laughs> just hymns. We would just sing. And people would get to request their hymns and we'd make a night out of it, an hour and a half of singing. And I remember as a little boy, those were terrific nights in church when we would just sing and sing and sing. And there's a, a fragment of a hymn that I think sums up this message. It's, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. <laughs>